Hey guys, this is Evan with Boneside Southeast. Me and Nate sat back down again to talk about bald cypresses in the fullest extent possible. We have gone from what was supposed to be a one-part episode to a multi-part episode. So this is part two of us going through a little care guide that I wrote up with some friends of mine for general care and how to design bald cypress. I hope you guys enjoy this part of the podcast. challenging to get that twigginess to stick around but uh yeah that's where we were left we left off last time and we'll kind of break back into it um talking about wiring but before we get too far man uh tell me about how things have been going since uh <laughs> since the last time we recorded i mean anything different as far as your trees or anything new taking off wire uh putting on wire <laughs> yeah um a lot of my Specifically, a lot of my cypress looking to do some primary branch structure um, and getting into a place where there is some some secondary. I have put up my shade cloth at this point. It seems like was it last week when it was so hot and dry? Yeah, it was. Um, it's it's rained a little bit, but like, yeah, now is the time to start putting the shade cloth up. In my opinion. We went ahead and did it here at the nursery. You can see yeah. how we got the red going up. I think the red's a little heavy. I wish we had a bunch more of just the 10% black. Um, but now- Is it 40 or 50? The, the the red's like 70. Is it? It's pretty intense. Um, and you can see the tone, like everything's like red colored out there, uh, basking in this. I mean, sometimes I can't even tell if the trees, like I come up and I'm like, what, what time of year is this tree in right now? And I think I see, yeah, I can see a crepe myrtle right now making um, making the flower blooms. You see that one right through the window I on the top it. of it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it is that that tells me. So there's like the couple of signals I look for, uh, like springtime for us is like when the red maples make the little white flowers on them. Right. Uh, summer here is signaled by the crepe myrtles because I mean crepe myrtles really start blooming in early summer, and uh, the backyard where I keep my trees at right now we have a big giant crepe myrtle. Um, and it started blooming like crazy. There's little pink, those little tiny pink flowers everywhere. Um, but my my bonsai crepe myrtles are not going to be flowering as much as you would uh, presume because I'm pruning them back and pinching them back pretty heavily. Oh, so wow. I, if there's one tree that I have to keep coming back to is troll. It's the, the crepe myrtle that I've gotten from you. Oh, yeah. Continue. And I'm that tree's at a place where I'm, I'm pinching you know, the terminal bud and just redistributing uh, some energy. Um, but the leaves, I mean, you know, you've had that tree how long prior to, to uh, me? Dude, I, I bought Troll from a landscape nursery and it was like, it was intended to go straight in the ground. That thing, I, I've had it for, I think like seven or eight years. I think this would have been like my eighth year that I would have had it if I wouldn't have given it to you. And it was, dude, it was a full-size crepe myrtle when I got it. And when I trimmed it back, and it's that little lumpy thing that it is now, I look, I thought it looked really awesome because it looks like a little boulder, like a little boulder of a crepe myrtle just with these The Niners coming can up. appreciate the name, the troll yeah. reference. 
Yeah, it's it's a pretty awesome little tree. But you've seen those leaves reduce, right? You yeah, defoliated yeah. right before I, I you yeah. know, gotten it from you. Yeah, and I, those leaves were really large. They can get the um, what looks best on crepe myrtles is like that initial flush in the spring, right when they're coming into leaf. Mm. Uh, my big crepe myrtle, that's that I call Alvarez. Um, that one, it's that a one looks absolutely gorgeous. Like that that blooming. It's almost like a bloom on its own because it, it comes out kind of like a like a reddish, pinkish kind of tint when it comes out. And then that one, that little crepe myrtle you got, that's a completely different variety because that's a pointed leaf. Mm -hmm. Whereas as my crepe myrtle, my big one has a round leaf, so it's more it's an ovate as as opposed to a pennant. And so uh, so like, I mean, it's going to have all kinds of different variations. And I think that one flowers relentlessly. You prune that one back, and it'll flower back on old wood. Um, if you do it right. So I know we've been talking about cypress, but in regards to, you know, those two specific trees, from from the pinching, I'm getting a lot more interior buds. Yeah. Um, best practice for you, you've had the tree longer, are just understanding crates, you know, better than me. Mm -hmm. Partially, you know, trimming the leaves. Um, or actually to get more that's a tough throat. one you know what I'm saying yeah I know what you're trying to say is trim you, back or you're trying to trim. balance the energy because crepe myrtles we're talking about crepe myrtle uh, lager stromia indica um, they are so top dominant man I've cut the leaves in half on that tree before right, right. I've leaf thinned I've pinched and I mean it's it's a good and a bad thing I mean have you been organic only, or yeah. have you miracle grow at all? No, mir uh, no miracle grow this year. Okay, at all. Because since last fall, I'm surprised because I mean I did do a repot on that tree where I took I took a lot of the mat out of it this this previous repotting season. So that might be part of the, the stem of your problem too. Is that it's got a lot of space to fill in that container? Because when I repotted it, because uh, yeah, you brought it to me after you had gotten it, and I said, hey, Nate, bring me that tree because I need to repot it for you. Uh, dude, I took a lot of roots off that tree. Oh, you're thinking of the water elm. No, both. I repotted troll. Okay. Yeah, I did that. I wasn't here with you. That's what it was. I had to go. Yeah, you dropped it off and it lived here for like a right. couple weeks. And right. it, I didn't see anything because it was here for a couple weeks. And then when I gave it to you is when it probably popped out like a couple weeks after that. Right. Because crepe myrtles are real late here. It's got to actually start getting pretty warm for them to start responding. But yeah, um, dude, I, I just think that there's a lot of room in the soil. I think that thing's just going to relentlessly grow until it fills that pot back up with roots again and gets root bound. Um, otherwise, just keep chasing it back. Try not to lose your twigginess. You right. get branches get way too big and you have to get coarse stuff out of there and cut it back again. But I mean, that's one of the best things about crepe myrtles is they grow so freaking quick. Mm -hmm. So you can, dude, you can rebuild that, that tree in a year. You cut that thing back to the, the nubby primaries and just start over again and again each year. And that's the fun, the fun behind it. Um, to kind of pick up where you left off, but also, you know, to make it my own. Yeah. And so, to bring it back to Cypress and, and wiring, um, is this the one time you would say partially de defoliate so you can wire? Okay, and that's a good that's a good um, springboard right there, man, because, yeah, wiring on bald cypresses, like, partial defoliation and wiring go hand-in-hand -hand with, with them. Anytime that I wire a cypress, I always strip those 
leaves that are kind of up the branch, and that's really easy to do. You've seen me do it before, where right? I literally just run my hand up and just right. rub those leaves straight off of there. There's no leaf cutting required, or you don't. It's the only tree I can think of that you have no fear of breaking uh, auxiliary buds that are underneath the leaf, because if you look at a bald cypress, whenever the leaf comes off, it like pulls this. It kind of like pulls this tissue from inside that that spot where that leaf existed. And if you look down in there, it's almost like a divot. Right. And then it's kind of it's kind of freaky looking after it starts to, when it starts to emerge a new leaf set to replace that, it, it like literally it looks like a turtle like poking its head out of a hole. And you can just rub those off. And those could be rubbed off again, but it'll just keep coming back. Right. So it's like, it's like almost like a little portal on the tree where the growth is just gonna keep coming. Whereas like a lot of other trees like uh, maples and elms and stuff, and once you rub those auxiliary buds off, they got you have to cut it back to the next inner node because uh, that's it's damaged. It could, it'll generate if the wood is big enough and the wood is old enough on that branch. It could generate new buds around that that wound site, but they're not going to be like your alternating or your opposite. Uh, well, the alternative is is wiring, which is obviously the incorrect practice. But the alternative is to wire over, over the, the foliage. Right. right, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> it looks sloppy, but it's. It's totally fine to strip those leaves on the inside. Um, so, if you if you like me to, I can go ahead and read what we have on wiring here. Um, and then I know there's a def defoliation part on here, which is that's going to probably uh, struck a chord uh, with quite a few people. Uh, bald cypress can be water watered. They can be watered all the time. Uh, bald cypress can be wired just about any time of the year, but the easiest is after the leaves have dropped in the late fall. At that time, the branch is already quote unquote naked and is easy to see and apply wire to. Your bald cypress is not growing as, rap as rapidly as it would be in the spring, thus meaning we can leave the wire on until spring flush. Otherwise, it is okay to remove some leaves growing along branches in order to apply wire and avoid crushing leaves against the branch. So that answers your, your little right. question there. During their active growing season, make sure to watch them closely for wire cutting into the thin bark. This could cause this could occur in under a month on strong growing branches. Remove wire before it cuts in to avoid unsightly scarring. If the branch or trunk did not set before the wire cut in, then you can remove the wire and rewire the branch or trunk again. Coil your wire in the opposite direction as the previous wiring job to help minimize visible wire marks. Add different bends to the branch to develop more natural branch movement. So like where you bent it before, right bend it in that other direction. Even if you don't want that branch to go that direction, go ahead and bend it and then kind of... Something unpredictable, for sure. Exactly. I think the more branches wired, like wired, unwired, wired, unwired, we start getting those really cool little nuances of that natural kind of feel to it. And when that bark start, when the bark starts growing on that branch, that's when the magic starts happening. But as long as you got that really nice play in there and the branch is not too brittle or too big, uh, you can get a lot of good good stuff into that branch uh, with enough wire application early on. Um, it, dude, I keep coming back to, to though, design-wise, what we want, and whether we draw it out, whether we sketch it, or whether we just have an eye for it, the idea of wiring in the fall, when, when it's completely bare, it allows you to come back, assuming you're wiring with aluminum versus copper mm -hmm. it allows you to come back and say you know what 
looking at it, I would prefer that branch to move here or to be here. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And it gives you a little bit longer of a time to sit with that tree in that design versus if you wire it now, yeah, you better be set on it because it's going to set quick. And if you don't chase it, man, it's going to bite in. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point because in in the in the winter time, and if, especially if this we're talking about personal trees, um, in reference to like how I've personal trees at my home, and then I have the trees here at the nursery. Wiring them is just all an all year long thing for me here. But if it was a tree like in your garden or in my personal garden, yeah, like you wire that. That's best practice, I believe, is best right after fall, right after all the leaves have fallen. I think it's a really great time to make all the the adjustments because what we're doing is we're treating these cypress trees like the deciduous trees they become in fall because they they have a conifer appearance in in uh in leaf but in the fall is whenever we can we do the deciduous uh practices that really make a difference and so when they do fall when the leaves now it's just like any other deciduous tree and i think this is this is fair is that when the first leaves begin to fall from the tree uh that's that's your point in which um you go in take your tree put it in a backdrop in your garden if you got a nice spot take a picture and then get to work go take the leaves strip all the leaves off trim back and set the buds for next year and then do your wiring work and uh and that's that's a pretty effective uh little method there that i i found even with trees at the nursery here i did a couple of the more specimen quality ones i did them in that manner um and yes, when spring comes, it gives you a head start, and and then like like you said, you can keep going back to those trees, and you look at them every day, and you might see that tree from a different angle, and you might right. turn it around and be like, well, crap, now I got to repot this thing and turn the front this way, uh, because change the angle. Yeah. When there's no foliage on there, dude, you get to see all the work, and that's why I love deciduous so much, is because you can't hide the mistakes, or if there is a mistake, or if there's a flaw. It makes it so much easier to fix those things, but anyone can hide mistakes like that with foliage. So you, you mentioned taking a picture with a backdrop, you know, being able to see it. How many times? If you're like me, you've you've woken up like I know what I have to do with, to that tree. Yeah, yeah. Man. So, like to take a picture of it, to have it, you know, whether you're sitting at supper and it's like you know what, it crosses your mind. Where is this branch in relation to this branch? What's the angle of it? If you have a, a visual of it beyond just in your mind, yeah, it definitely, uh, and and to pick on myself and to pick on you because I know you don't, uh, you don't keep record of when you did X, Y, and Z, whether it be a chop or a repot. Well, I'm trying to get better about that. You saw I made that post the <laughs> other day with that, that Persian witch hazel and I was like, this is to help me myself document this better. Right. But yeah, you, you. Sometimes I do. I don't wake up in a dead sleep, but sometimes I'll. I will think about something yep. on a tree, and then I'll give myself time on that. And that's something I've learned. I mean, that's that's kind of the point of this whole thing. That's why we're even talking in, in this podcast about even about bone size. You learn that patience, and you're like, if I remove it now, I I might make a mistake. But if you know it needs to come off of there. Like that kind of eats at you a little bit, and then you can even adjust that and make and make those assessments as time go as time goes on. And then, I mean, you got as long as it's in the fall too. That's why I said like when you take that picture. I also find that deciduous trees, dimensionally, like when you take a picture of them, when your phone 
well, we're all using phone cameras nowadays, to be honest. Um, that phone camera lays that tree flat. Yeah. And then you can see it in that dimensionality, where the branches lay. Yeah. And of course, you're going to want to take a picture up high, down low, from the side, to really study the, the profiles of that. Because in real time, when you're seeing it, when we say like, yeah, pictures don't do this phone side justice, it's because you're really kind of overwhelmed. If it's a great tree, you're like looking at all kinds, of, and those things don't become initially obvious to us. So yeah, uh, sketching them out is really great. Um, but I don't have many sketches of my trees anymore. Uh, that's that's kind of one thing I'm kind of envious of you right now is that you're still eager to do all those things and keep doing that. Well, you do have <laughs> a lot more trees that you have to care for. So working on your trees, do you prefer working from from a lower perspective than what they may be, uh, possibly from a from the viewing angle perspective? Like, do you have a preference? Have you ever thought about if you have a preference of which angle you like to work on your trees from? Um, that's actually really good because no one's really asked me that question before and it takes a real other bonsai enthusiast like, like a practitioner to think that question up. So yeah, when I view my trees, I normally view them from the, like I'm sitting down and the canopy is slightly above mm -hmm. because I have this habit of, of trimming and wiring and then not turning the tree up upwards, but like kind of gazing up into it. And, and I always tell myself, if I don't feel like I'm actually standing underneath a tree or a branch of a tree, then I'm not, I'm not standing underneath the bone side. Yeah. That's what I kind of look at it. So I like to kind of work on my trees and it's going to sound kind of odd. I start working with the trees from the top because um, I, I might have mentioned this earlier in other, other sessions where we've talked about things, but when you lay those branches out, you want to make every, every, everything's hitting the light. You want to make sure nothing is over the top of another branch. You want to make sure that spacing is correct and you don't want any parallel branches. And that kind of helps you from right from the get-go. If you get all those branches out where they're supposed to be, where they all get hit, horticulturally you're there. So everything's a solar panel. And then also, when you turn that tree to you to view it straight on, then you can see that takes that takes care of all that uh, that thing that really intimidates a lot of people getting into bonsai with really raw materials, all that jumbled branching look. Right. That that takes care of a lot of that stuff. Um, and this is this is after and keep in mind this is after I've already done severe chop chopping on the trunk and regrowing branches and working with the new apex and new crowns. Uh, and then when I'm done looking at it from that perspective of the viewer's perspective mm -hmm. our our perspective um, when you go from someone who appreciates bonsai and goes to an art gallery or to a bonsai show and happens to see a tree on display they always see it in that like straightforward look right. but you know who the bonsai people are because the bonsai people are, are the people that are squatting down and looking up right. because they're looking to see what the structure is like so yeah work from the top and then kind of consider the viewpoint and then work from the bottom is where I kind of look at. I got to feel like I'm underneath, and also the structure's got to feel right. And then, and then I turn the tree around. I call the backside of the tree the lanyap. Uh, for you guys who are not familiar, familiar with Cajun culture, lanyap means a little bit something extra. And so that means literally the backside is for the practitioner. That that not only does it give you depth, but there's also there's trees are that's a three three sixty dimensional like all the way around sculptures so there's there's features all the way well and and even the back we call it extra but it could also be 
as the tree evolves and changes as, as it grows, as you grow as an artist, that could that's an al alternate front as well. Exactly. Um. Yep. That's and that's another thing that like it takes it takes some people looking at and working with bonsai for for a little while to start realizing that. That's why I always say potential front. Yeah. I don't always say like this is the front of the tree because I don't want anyone to ever think they're married to any angle of that tree to be always the front. I've seen I've seen really great articles with other bonsai practitioners and masters in Japan where they've they've taken these old trees that have been in training for like almost a century and they yeah. turn them around and boom there's a gorgeous line and a new set of branches that just make a really wonderful like new way that that tree could go. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's a good don't point. neglect never the back. neglect the back. Right. Um, and like that's why I'm always turning my trees. But anyway, I don't want to get too too far into that. Are you ready for repotting, or is, do you think this is a this is a controversial seasonally? Topic? Am I ready, or am I ready? To talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, me and me and Nate are sitting down in the middle of the summer here, and repotting could work for tropicals right now. And I've got a suki, but I'm yeah. I, I removed the the. The flower buds because I felt like it was oh, yeah, pretty azaleas weak. too. Yeah, you could do azaleas right now. Yeah, you got to be real careful though. Well, drying out. From what I've read, it's uh, after that first, the first bud, mm -hmm. uh, after the first, uh, the, the first flushing of flowers. Yeah, then you can take them off. And it, we have some azaleas that are super determined to keep going. They put out more flower buds, so you really got to wait for it to stop. And then, in turn, want to grow foliage instead. Yeah. Because uh, I've got I've got an azalea out there. I've been battling it to grow foliage. I repotted it, like, in March, because mm. I thought it was done. And then it just kept going after I repotted it. I was like, crap. But it's been fine. But it's still like it's the leaves are like barely a centimeter. They wow. just emerged. But uh, yeah, repotting and stuff. Um, so with bald cypress. Uh, as with most other deciduous trees, bald cypress is best repotted in early spring right as the buds begin to swell. Bald cypress can take very heavy root work. More established root balls should have their cores left intact and only have large coarse roots pruned back. I'm, I'm pausing right there. That's going to be something I really want to stress about, um, with, especially with bald cypress. I hear a lot of people bare rooting them. but Okay, always make sure your repotting shears are sharp to reduce damage to fine roots. Some, something to take note of if you live in the southeast, this, this is all straight off the care guide, when the red maples begin to flower, cypress buds are normally begin, starting to swell. That was something I threw in there. That's somebody that has been observant. <laughs> Someone that just like stares at trees all day right. long. That, that's what happens. And that's one of the things like I tell people when they start getting into this. I've talked to you about a couple of students that I've have people approach me and started when want me to start training them and like I say all these goofy sounding things but it's literally like you have to do those things you have to go out in nature you have to look at trees you have to watch what happens with other trees you can't concentrate on your target species without realizing what other ones are doing at, the, at that time and then and then also you like you you have to draw it or you have to visualize it or or like for me well you'll get there and you're gonna get there pretty quick because you've got lots of material to do this with, but when you go from scrap tree, mm -hmm. like nothing, like Blake Slate, Blake Slate, like stump cypress into specimen cypress, 
then, then everything will make sense. And then you'll look at that tree when you're done with it, and you'll be like, wow, look at all the mistakes. I've, I could have I could have right. did this so much faster. And we've already talked about a couple of those things with some of the trees in your in your garden. And I'm not trying to put you down. Like, <laughs> Any practitioner who, who can't take some criticism, then shame on you. You don't want people to come and see your trees. Yeah, no, you're... You're doing you're doing really good, man. So don't worry about that. I just you know, like we said earlier, it's a learning experience. You can still ask the naive questions. Yeah, I don't I don't call you before every chop or every bar <laughs> bend. I don't. <laughs> yeah, you're starting to get that part. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the root the root ball thing. Have you have you been able to repot a tree that has like a really dense but old established bonsai style root ball? I haven't, so I'm all ears. Yeah, like. Next time that we do some repotting, uh, especially with Dawn, I'm going to have to ask her if it's okay if you come by Certainly. and just experience that. Because I've done a few of them around the nursery, and some of mine got to that point. So I was fortunate to have trees long enough to start seeing that development. But but taking a tree, uh, like my, my musk maple, my uh, primitive japonica, I got to repot that tree, and I know that tree's old. That tree was grown from a cutting. It's got to be, it looks from the trunk size and how how, many, how long the pictures date back from the original photos the guy showed me that we got it from, uh, that tree's got to be 30 years old. Um, and that's when that root, and we, whenever I took it out of the pot this past season and repotted it, that's one of those instances where you can see, like, all the coarse stuff has been removed. Like, all the, all the running roots that would have been, like, from being root-bound really bad for before you got your hands on it, or somebody neglected it and just hadn't repotted it in years. And you get to this core that's been worked properly. And that core is a very important part of that root ball that a lot of people are referring to nowadays as, as the sheen, and that's the Japanese terminology for, for a beating heart in the side of that root ball. And that is extremely important. And when we get to our bald cypresses, I see a lot of people take, our, take the cypress and they'll just completely bare root that thing again. And it sets it back. You could leave that interior intact and start building that that really nice dense interior root ball and that tree will perform so much faster and that some people I've heard some practitioners that don't even like like repot in the terms that you would even think almost like a slip potting almost like a slip potting where they pick it up rake out the exterior cut off the exterior stuff and put it right back in and yeah that those trees are going to be they're gonna they're gonna do what they did before. They're gonna grow a little bit, but they're not gonna they're not gonna grow crazy amounts of shoots well, either. To me, here's what it goes back to: is where are all the well-refined bald cypress? Mm -hmm. Where are they at? Oh well, there's a couple of them I know of. I know some really well-refined ones, but yeah, there's there's not a lot that I've seen. Well, it, as in pictures and stuff. I right, mean. as high quality as some of the trees that have been collected, you know, for years now. And again, I'm I'm early. Or I should say, I'm late in this game, hmm. uh, but I'm early in my practice of it. I think, I think that's where the ball has been dropped is is the repotting. Yeah, my take. Like repotting techniques. Correct. Timing techniques. Yeah, I mean, too aggressive with a species that gives us this impression we can do whatever we want to whenever we want to. See, when we go down to Florida. Um, to get some buttonwood stuff, that's a species you can't mess with the roots like that. You'll you'll straight up kill your buttonwood like that, and that's something that that like with other species, like you said, like azaleas are the same way. 
if you butcher the azalea, azalea's roots and you do it tight and hard and you you could kill those azaleas pretty quick uh, doing that and not being mindful of also having to open up new spaces in that root ball because how dense they get so everything's different uh, deciduous trees seem to get the short end of the stick in my opinion when it comes to repotting practices because people are normally like Oh yeah, like especially if you're familiar with the tree. That's what I, that's like. I like hearing that familiarity with working with tree for so long. You're like, oh yeah, I pulled this tree out of the ground. I know what it can take. But you really should you should start changing gears in a certain right. point of that tree's life. When that tree is pure feeder roots, and you go through there and you blast all those feeder roots back to the base of that tree again. That's why I, that's why I'm telling you, you need to see one of those really old ones because anything that was coarse right. or anything that was um, Anything that was unnecessary, that was like poking down and preventing you from getting it into a shallower container, all that's gone. And I, I've seen a couple of Japanese maples that I've repotted, where underneath there's no hollow, there's no scar, there, there's well there's scarring, but there's no hollows, there's no like open wood areas, there's no roots hanging out. It's just a big giant flat, like healed space. It's just a big giant flat healed scar, and it looks crazy. And then, and it like that. It just enlightens it a little bit. You're like, it enlightens you pers like personally. It would help to see that because you'd be like, oh, like this is the goal. This is what I want to see. But you don't take that all out unless someone's built that. Deciduous trees can definitely be like that with that really flat underneath um, because everything's on the outside of that. And it's when you see it, you know, you're like, you're like, yes, that's been done properly, and it's been done properly for like. I think that's like about a decade or so worth of work right there, honestly. I think that's the, one of the scary aspects of being a new new practitioner, not necessarily for me. You can check that real quick. It's not necessarily for me because I, I've heard another practitioner call it serial killer-like and, and not in a violent way, but in a non-emotional, like, hey, you got to make this chop or you got to, if something has to be done, it has to be done. It needs to be you know, done right. It needs to be done efficiently. So, a scary aspect I feel of ramified specimens is the repotting aspect, and that's I think for a lot of newbies into bonsai, they're afraid of I'm going to kill this tree, yeah. especially in the repotting sense. So, much of what you're talking about in regards to timing and how to do it is is to say, look. It can be done if done properly. This tree, you know, cypress specifically, can you know be healthy and and be a, a substantial you can you have know, a tree. A maculate health out of a bald cypress if done the first time, like we've talked about with with the yamadori right. collected pieces. If the first time you you work with those roots and you get that you get the plate the plating of right. the bottom of that correct the first time and you don't have to go back and do really aggressive stuff like that again and that tree fully recovers and gives you what you need as far as like keeping the entire trunk alive yeah. and getting growth where you need it then you set yourself up that is i mean that that yamadori is basically a pre-bone side right but that's a good package right off the ground mm -hmm. as long as you get that right and that's one thing that i have on here as a note is talking about yamadori um collecting it um as far as chops and so this, this is a question I get a lot about cypresses that are too tall and when to do things um, as far as cuts and cutting the roots and getting them into shallower containers. 
some people say like you're rushing the bonsai game when you put your bald cypress straight into a shallow container when actually we like I just said that's actually not not the the case we don't have to overpot our bald cypress to make up for digging it up because we have, we we hurt its feelings it, we're we're accelerating the not accelerating but using a, a now refined technique to get there just a little bit faster and if you're scared that the tree is in really really shallow soil and you're like oh this is questionable then just float the tree put it in a pot that doesn't drain you know that also helps a lot too but in the note that fresh uh note with freshly collected yamadori we should strive to make all the large flat root cuts that would need to be done to the tree for it to eventually go into a shallow container during its first year as collected material. This will be the strongest growth the tree will ever be producing. Uh, that, that is, that it is that the biggest amount of damage being caused to the tree in its life at that point. This will trigger an immense amount of energy from the tree to replace its root system and grow back into a, into a full-size tree. Taking advantage of this event, we can develop large new leaders and branches very quickly on a, on a bald cypress. This is one thing that you have to do, you have to experience it. Like some of those trees you see out there, how I've got them, like you have to experience that firsthand to know what that's like. Yeah. Whenever I say, when I tell people, you could take that cypress out of the ground and in five years you could have a bone, like a bone side, like with good bones and like the, the wounds almost healed all the way. It's no joke. Like knowing how to execute that chop and cut those roots correctly could get you to that bone side so quick. Um, but I know the, I know the, the name of the, of the game for bonsai is not to be quick, it's to be patient, but when we're collecting them, it can't be a stump forever and not know how to carve it and how to repot it. Right. So. Well, to piggyback to not just the flat chop, and, you know, not just the, the plated chop, but also, you know, getting it into a container. I know a lot of times we use mortar tubs, but if there's very coarse and thick roots that just sprawl and, and expand from the base of the tree. I like to cut those back as, as tight as the as tight as allowing. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you've experienced it where you'll cut back and you'll cut into a flute thinking that you're cutting back far enough, but it's actually a little too far. Mm -hmm. And even though that's a big cut, like sometimes if you get that right that cypress is almost like a giant cutting. Yeah. And it will root again there. So that's just something you have to be cautious about when you're when you're collecting them like that and cutting those lateral uh, roots off. But I think if you're I mean, especially with you, your collecting game has gotten much, much better uh, since I mean what, three years ago now? Has it no, been three this, years? No, this was my second collecting oh, season. Dang, dude. So yeah, well and also uh, also, we've been talking about it a lot, and it's been something, but yeah, like, after after we've gone in and I've told you, like, cut wide, and then we'll come back in again. Right. Don't try to make all those cuts in the field. Um, it saves you, I mean, it may take you a little bit longer, but I think that things that we do that take a little bit longer to do with our trees like this, mm -hmm. we, we want to have this tree for the rest of our life, and then it to, like, precede us and go go off to somewhere, someone else, or to... You know, maybe an arboretum or a museum of some type would be amazing, right? But, um, but yeah, we want to make these correct type of things like early on. We want to do them efficiently, and so that this tree has longevity. Yeah, and and not everybody listening though is going to have that dream, and that 
idea that, hey, look, I'm, I can practice on the caliber where my tree is showable. If there's things that have to be done to that tree, hmm. there's trees that you and I have both seen that, you know, the the leader is is it's, wacky. Well, it's questionable. Right. <laughs> you got to cut back to, to something. For somebody... You got to tip your hat to the person that collects it, the person that initially pots it. You got to tip your hat when that's done properly, because when it's not done properly and you just let the thing go, you got a lot more work on your right. hands. Right, you didn't do on the front end what needed to be done to set that tree up. And that's one thing I'm thinking about too is not everybody's going to be like this is going to be quality bone side material. I I as a as a nurseryman in in the in bonsai, like my my goal is to eventually make sure that the majority of what we we do here sets us up so someone can come in here and would be like, oh, that could be a quality bonsai one day. And I know that's really hard. That's asking a lot. But there are a lot of them that fall short. And there's something I learned. And I've been saying uh, I've been saying a lot more recently because I'm I'm starting to do these workshops a lot more and I'm starting to learn a lot lot uh, meet a lot more people that are newbies are getting straight into this early on. And like you said, not everybody's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna show this and it's gonna get into right. a show and maybe even to an arboretum when I pass away one day. Not, you know, like 90, 99% of the people don't think like that. Uh, initially, at least too. And I like to call those trees uh, that are not like that, the ones that are gonna be the lesser ones that we have at the nursery, even though they're good, but they, are ne they'll, they, they have a lot of long ways to go before they can ever become great. I call those uh, pet own side yeah like you know they're they're fun and you can like you're saying like you learn on those trees for sure yeah but you I mean you're not going to show it off and you're not going right. to be embarrassed about it but if it's got something you love about it like but it's moving your knowledge forward and that's the whole reason people are listening to a, a podcast whether it be driving or early in the morning whatever it is but it's to move your your knowledge forward <laughs> nate, about a certain nate breaks the fourth wall <laughs> <laughs> If you're doing this, then you really know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I, I do think it's, um, it can be intimidating for new practitioners to think about, oh my gosh, I want this tree to stay small. I want it to stay juvenile. You know, I don't want to ever have to repot it, you know, because they're afraid of... Yeah, we're getting back to like the fear of repotting. I think that every time that I, I went to a garden show this this past couple weekends ago and a lot of people came up to me and they started talking to me about bonsai and the like and the vast majority of them had never seen a bonsai before and I always start talking about roots and I always say the roots are the most important part the top reflects what's going on below the soil that's why our soil is so important yada yada and they were like they were like wow okay you know and there's a lot more that goes into preserve it. those roots more than I would imagine. So when you re learn to repot, when you learn to repot properly and understand how each species that you work with for bonsai works as you repot them, you've unlocked like a whole new world of things that you could understand and things that you could do with your trees. But if you have your trees in poor potting uh, kind of situations and you're like, I'm gonna grow this leader out one day and I'm gonna heal the scar and your tree might have big old wonky roots that are pushed up against the bottom or the sides that need to be removed and, and you don't have the, so, the proper soil 
particles introduced into an airspace that might be wide open, rotting out another portion of it, who knows what's going to happen in that tree? It might stay wonky forever. You're you know? only going to appreciate that tree for a few more seasons. <laughs> yeah. The helpful decline sometimes. Um, it depends. Some trees are real lucky and some trees are really strong. That's why I like, I loved it. I love to hate and hate to love crepe myrtles because crepe myrtles, like we're going back to the crepe myrtle thing. Um, crepe myrtles are um, not, I'm going to go ahead and say, they're not great bonsai. They could be good bonsai, but they're never going to be, well, they could, they could be good, good. Like the twigging on them, it doesn't stick around. Right. It's very sensitive. Um, it's very temperature sensitive, especially for us here. Uh, if it gets one degree too cold, we lose, we lose like, we lose like three rounds of ramification on a, on a crepe myrtle we have to cut back. Or the flowers, when the flowers come out, the, the flowers weaken the, the stem so bad that we, we lose those things. And so, even though I love to hate them and still have a couple of them in my personal collection, I've, I've had those trees for a long time. And it's trees that, like, it's, like, permittable to make those kind of mistakes. I mean, some of my crepe myrtles went on untouched properly in their root system for years, but they're such a strong species, they just don't care. Like, they keep growing. Like, they'll grow in a little to no soil as long as the water hits them the right way. You know, like, so... I, that's honestly where where I would like to go to, and it, we'll talk about it more as things go on. Talking about repotting, and I mean we're in the middle of summer, so it's challenging to talk about all those things. And this is this the the subject of this is all bald cypress, but I mean we can always revisit that. But I believe strongly in repotting. I mean that's that's when that's when the the doors opened wide open. <laughs> the doors opened for me in bone size when I started uh, understanding that. I'm gonna grab What's going on? This episode of Bonsai Southeast was brought to you by Underhill Bonsai, Louisiana's premier bonsai nursery, where we sell everything you could ever need for bonsai and distribute it to the Southeast range. We have everything as far as tools, wire, soil, fertilizers, pottery, and bonsai as far as pre-bonsai, more developed pieces, and even specimen bonsai. If you want to see what we have, you can check out our website at underhillbonsai.com, and it will link you to our web store, which is underhillbonsaistore.com. We also have a YouTube channel where you can watch our past third Thursday programs. And let's get back to the conversation. About that, all the questions that you could have about repotting. Okay, so we talked. <laughs> Put you on the spot. There's, there's a side note question. I don't know if I want to ask you yet. Um, but I, I will say, what sort of, in regards to Cyprus, what what sort of pots do you do you like? What sort of pots do you think? Um, you know, I know there's a big, 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 large difference between a show pot and the everyday pot that you would like a Cypress in. But additionally, what sort of colors? Because um, hmm. you're a you're a pot connoisseur. You really you've you've uh, you've made some pots and. Uh, we've had some workshops, yeah. you know, at the nursery and whatnot. With fire and what, fire and stuff. He's what do you think? He's uh, pretty good with helping with that too. So you're you're just asking like pot selection for cypress, yeah. Um, what do you, what do you like? What appeals to you? It's kind of weird right now. I'm in this transition with bald cypress because we have so many of them here, and I've seen them in different potting situations. Um, an everyday home for me for a cypress would be a slightly larger than show pot. So 
slightly larger than show pot, something just on glaze, like three inches is, I know that sounds like real, to some people that's, that's really shallow, man. Not, not of you to say that. No, shallow no. the container. <laughs> no, uh, that's, uh, no, three inches is, is, is like almost a show pot. Um, I mean, I've got a, cre I'm not a creamer, yeah, dang. I've got a, <laughs> I've got a cypress out there in a three quarter, three quarter of an inch deep. Like less than an inch deep pot right now, which that's a true show. Three inches is pretty good, um, but an extra inch, like four, yeah. even four and a half to five, wouldn't even be that bad yeah. of a resting pot. Just so roots are allowed to like go crazy, and not so crazy that you have to go in and remove big, vicious running roots because you shouldn't let it get to that point, honestly. But pot selection for show is that is that really what it is? Or no, no, no. I are best for the for the species in regards coloration wise even depth because you know where my mind goes is for junipers we don't want necessarily shallow pots but yet because the water situation yeah you need a higher water column so tell yeah. me tell me why oh you, the you, inverse isn't correct for a you want to okay you want to talk about the rubber band effect so the rubber band effect of the pot is that as the cypress goes into a show pot we stretch out the side walls of that pot and we get wider and wider, it gets shallower and shallower. Mm -hmm. but, and al but alternatively for bald cypress, we want to, that is the goal, is to get shallower with a bald cypress because of, and you can answer this question, because of? Run that back. So because the, 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 because the surface area becomes greater and the pot de depth becomes shallower, what happens there? Uh, the tree's going to push up. Well, no. No, I'm, as far as the water. So yeah, the, the water tension is going to change. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the water tension is going to be much higher. Yeah. Uh, because it's like a really, really shallow dish. Yeah. And just like when we we fill a cup up to the rim and the cup bubbles over the side, that it, it's not to that extent, but it is very similar in the way of that. That because there's such a broad surface area that it's less likely to drain out as quickly as if your juniper or pine pot would be. Um, now the tree pushing up in regards to that, that's why I say if you want a vigorous couple of seasons out of your tree, then you put it in that slightly deeper one. And when you repot, you actually take your nabari down like an inch or so underneath the soil. So in the case when it does push back up again, those roots develop and push pushing off the up. bottom of the pole. Yep, exactly. It, that's a that's a cool way to put it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the um, the other choices that I've been looking at. So unglazed for pot selection is, is a pre, pretty straightforward answer because it's a deciduous conifer. So an unglazed container almost always works. And, and it's a classical look too. It works for almost any bonsai out there. I mean, you could even put azaleas and crab apples and, and plums and all those other flowering ones in a, if it's a good enough unglazed container, you can get away with it. Uh, bald cypress is, is pretty good about just going into anything that's just very, very low profile, um, curved to to like softly rounded rectangle kind of shape. Mm -hmm. Nothing harshly shaped like those, the really jagged sharp edged containers should be reserved for our pine trees or anything that's got like a lot of dead wood. Um, but another thing that I, I was I was going to bring up earlier about like bald cypresses and containers and it's going to sound kind of going to sound kind of radical to some out there that haven't seen this yet, but I've been putting bald cypresses on pieces of driftwood 
and doing like a mound effect. Putting a bald cypress onto like a piece of driftwood that like slightly rounded on the top, not like a bowl, mm -hmm. the inverse of that. Right. On like the cre and I've had I've planted a whole forest and a couple other trees, bald cypresses in that situation and they've done really good. In fact they've got they've done just just as good as trees in containers and uh, they don't seem to mind that and the act the natural air pruning of the roots on the sides that actually helps out a lot too um, and so I have a couple of trees that I'm gonna even though they're big big trees I'm gonna go out there and find out find a cool looking piece of driftwood and put it onto that driftwood and you'll st you'll start to get like what they're doing over in Europe a lot where they're taking the rocks like the big wonky rocks that like look like they have their own legs and feet and they stand up and the trees like fall in that rounded belly of it on the top why, why can't we do that with cypress trees you know like they, they live in an adverse environment just like just like any other tree yeah maybe not in a rocky environment but I can definitely see you know some driftwood mm -hmm. some naturalistic stuff with that because I'm, I'm with you I brought in some some gnarly driftwood to do some plantings and Even you put cypresses cypress on there yeah. yeah yeah and I know driftwood is not a lot of people are not not going to look at it as like a permanent residence for that uh, but I've seen it as bonsai can change every season and so the driftwood thing it may not be a permanent thing it might last it might last you one year if you get like a really quirky not so dense wood if you put the and it sounds kind of it would be kind of awful to think about it this way like for the trees personally like you're you're taking the bald cypress and planting it on a bald cypress log yeah and you're like oh that's strange but also not really because i mean that's an immortal wood it's a rot proof wood technically it can still wear away and rot but uh but yeah i think i think the transition into people planting high quality pieces or pieces that would normally be trusted to be in a container onto driftwood, and I've seen other people do this. There's, I mean, I'm not the only one putting trees like with established big root balls or yeah. kind of different feels to them onto driftwood pieces right now. I mean, I've seen quite a few other people do that, and it looks awesome. But there is a time and a place for it. I, I know that. So, this is off topic, but I definitely I want to dive into putting some better trees into a forest type planting um, because I know a lot of times when we, we have these the, the second choice, third choice, fourth choice trees, not the high quality character type stuff, but a higher quality of, of forest planting, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know it's off topic. No, I've heard a lot of people say, uh, there was another bonsai practitioner and he was like, Got a bunch of ugly trees. What you gonna do? Throw them together in a forest. Solves all your issues. You're gonna have an ugly forest. Is, well, <laughs> you could, but they're when they're ugly, it's because they're either too tall yeah. or they're if they got some real issues. Yeah. Then you can if you're just using scrap trees that got like knots or inverse taper or something weird going yeah. on with them. Yeah, you got an ugly forest. But yeah, we can. That's why I like sometimes, and you're what you're saying is very is a very good thing to to suggest or observe about things like that. Is that why not make a refined forest made out of trees that are already been worked on very properly? And those things do exist. Those plantings do definitely exist, and there some of them really old at this point. But usually trees are all 
taken at a certain point in their life, but they're going to be into a, in a force together, and they're all of a certain quality, so that one's not way ahead of the other ones, mm -hmm. or a group of them look really odd because it's they have to catch up. Generally, when you plant a force planting, you want them to all be around the same quality. They could be, they could have like you know, grew it out a great length, chopped it, grew out the next part of the taper, chopped it, grew up, and you have like these long, skinny, nice, beautiful, elegant trunks with little with very little branching and then put them all together and then grow the branching in accordingly. Or you could do the thing where it's a lot more, I guess it would be more of a scavenger hunt where you go out and you find trees and you select them as you go. And some of them, some of them you, you make them individually. Then you're like, this could be an individual, but I'm going to leave it taller and more slender. Yeah. Maybe one day, I'll have a whole group of these, and that's that would just be, a, honestly, a, a lifelong endeavor. If you went out and got a bunch of trees, and you're like, this could be a forest tree. I'm going to put it on my back burner forest tree area, and I'm going to cut and work on it like it's its own tree. But then that's going to be challenging. Thing is going to be branch. It's always going to be branch placement. Right. When you put those trees together, you're always going to be challenged with no interior branches, no crossing branches. Where does the tree end up in the forest? You might cut off some of that stuff anyway. But yeah. I mean, it's a that's a good thing to look at, and kind of question too, is where are the good forest plantings? And I mean, that's why some of them started the way they are, you know. But uh, I'm gonna get on to the topic that you tried to bring up in the first part of this. Uh oh. Yeah, and this this one, this and we spent this whole time talking about wiring and repotting, and we still I told you this is gonna be there's still another whole chunk of this so. This is going to be the last thing that we're going to talk about for bald cypress, but this is going to probably eat up the rest of it. We can probably do a whole thing on this okay. by itself another episode after this. Uh, soil. Considered to be a little bit of a controversial subject. This I wrote that on there. Selecting soil media for bald cypress should be based off of what stage of development the tree is currently in and should always have the ability to hold moisture as compared to soils for trees that, are, that are, aren't as moisture dependent that they are so the soil should be have the ability at the certain stage that it's at to be the right type of soil for that cypress in its developmental stage but also we have to keep in mind a higher moisture uh, being able to hold moisture a lot more retention uh, flat uh, fresh uh, fleshly freshly collected or juvenile trees are best grown in a medium that consists of one-third pine bark sold as soil conditioner it's a little note uh, one-third peat moss based potting soil and one-third granular uh, bone size soil and this is a mix that Dawn pretty much gave me here uh, that was her kind of thing more mature specimens grow best in a mix that is one-half bone size soil and a, a quarter added more pine bark and fines or peat based potting soil as long as it's not big chunky could clog the, the pot up really bad but our trees can't our bald cypress can't get over watered so and here's a side note that that's going to uh, probably bring us into a whole string of, of argument and and you know someone might just turn the podcast off right now but no uh, a, uh, a traditional Bone size soil mix would consist of equal parts pumice, lava, pine bark, and akadama, or a suitable replacement for akadama. Probably get 
shop for that one and hate mail and stuff. Uh, Repiful Boneside Nurseries and Growers would be a great source for this type of mix. And so, Akadama or Suitable Replacement, I know that, that play, that's playing with fire right there. And do you put your bald cypress into Akadama? I, 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 you don't. I know you haven't experimented with it yet. Um, Correct. If you, would, if you would have, you would have definitely asked me about it, right? Oh, without a doubt. And I've heard other practitioners who practice at a high level say, you know, strictly Akadama. And when we talk about the repotting, they don't touch that root ball, you know. Yeah. Um, and Akadama root ball is the ones that I was kind of talking about right uh, earlier on. But the unfortunate, you know, aspect of it is we really don't have that type of access to Akadama. Well, you you would think we we don't. We could we could get some. Um, I've actually been toying around with getting some of it for the nursery here. Really. Um, and but that's for. And people have to know, Akadama is for trees that are entering a certain stage of refinement, uh, or certain stage of their life. Um, old bonsai that need their root their root cores replaced with Akadama, that's like a whole challenging aspect of, of bonsai here. And there's, I know of several, several people who practice bonsai, I know very, I know of a lot of their trees, I know, I've seen these people's collections, um, and and I know that they don't use Akadama, but they still have very nice trees. Now, there's been a lot of debate. Does Akadama, is it the end-all be-all, this is how you make good bonsai, period. If you don't grow it in this, then you don't get what would be expected of, of doing this for so long. And I, I know that's, I know it's a very controversial thing, but for bald cypresses, the thing down here that I hear a lot is that bald cypresses in Akadama with so much watering turns it into a slurry mm. is what I've heard sometimes or like just makes it into just a hard-packed mud cake mm. because Akadama uh, are you familiar with what, what it is yeah okay uh, kind of okay so kind of give me your take on how you understand it then um, well it breaks down and hardens it, it's gonna you're still gonna be able to have you know, some finer root tips that really bring it compact to the to the center of uh, of the tree, it, as close to the tree yeah. as possible. When we're talking about like uh, splitting, like splitting hair, right? Fine roots, right? Akadama could do that. And have you heard the the research that um, that Ryan Neal's done? I with about how like if you zoom in real close to Akadama, how it it has like these little tubular areas in it where the roots go through and it breaks the, hmm. that's why the roots split very easily because they grab inside of there and they split hmm. it. And I think that's a very interesting thing to right. mention about Akadama. And I've started putting a lot of my trees in my personal collection with uh, with like a quarter Akadama into a traditional style mix really? to see what happens. Yeah. So far, nothing, nothing terrible has happened. Or anything spectacular? I mean, or it's going, it's kind of like, so to give you an example, uh, uh, Kate, Caitlin started taking vitamins recently, and she was like, just wait, in six weeks, I'm going to feel the effects of this, these vitamins. It's kind of like that with, with, uh, with Akadama, it's like, just wait, well, in five to six years, you're going to see great yeah. results. I mean, I should, <laughs> I should ask, you know, how long are we talking that you've 
have, have yeah, done this so far. Yeah. Oh, okay, this will be the first year. Really? But I'm going to see in... But yeah, go ahead. Well, but here's what I'll say. You can make a great tasting hot dog, right? But you can also burn the heck out of a filet mignon. And there are some trees that just don't need or deserve, if you want to call it, to be an Akadama. Yes or no? I can't answer that question right now. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, and I'm really would, put they on the benefit, spot with it. would they benefit? Possibly. Would they... Is there that big of a difference in putting them in a, a nursery mix, you know, with pine bark and peat moss? You're not going to see a big difference in young trees Gro if you put them straight, akadama or straight. Growing trees. Right. Growing. We're a, not talking about refined trees. A I'm, nursery stock tree. Right. So that, that one earlier that says um, soil conditioner, which is just like a really nice organic pine bark that's right. ready to be broken down. It's not, it's not like dried out. Or anything and a peat moss kind of soil with bonsai soil with a grant when granular means like a bonsai soil that's been pre-made that has the pumice and the lava and some kind of other particle in it and there's a lot of particles i know other nurseries out there that carry their own personal mixes and some of them was like because our soil here i'm going to be real blunt about it our soil has four things in, that are the ingredients. And traditional mixes, traditional bonsai mixes, have roughly about three to four ingredients. I've seen some other nurseries have like 15. Was one of them, I was like 15 different particles. Yeah. I was like, it's insane. That's a lot of different stuff in there. Yeah. Like, I've seen here, I watched somebody, uh, an, old, an old bonsai practitioner, I watched him mix soil one time, and I was like, mm -hmm. he, it was like he was making gumbo, man. He was just throwing all kinds of stuff in there, and he was just eyeballing it. He didn't have any, he didn't have any like numbers or ratios. Yeah. And so that's why it's like, and and it's like, what kind of particle is suitable for your tree and and like while it's growing? And I've I've even heard the thing where it's like bald cypress straight out of the ground, chop the roots right, put it in Miracle Grow, and I'm like, well, sure, yeah, just straight potting soil Miracle Grow with with the fertilizer in it I got you yeah. um, and I'm like go for it I mean it's not gonna hurt the tree's feelings well but that's definitely not the permanent yeah it's permanent not the permanent home. soil no it's not the permanent home for that tree uh, no I man I just think about the listener that's getting into you know trees slash bonsai they look it up they look up Akadama they order some they have a Oh yeah, and how do they you have a young juniper and they put it in Akadama and like this is what bonsai practicing this is what it is. This is what it means to be a bonsai man, practitioner right. man, woman. You know, like Akadama is not something that you should throw at a beginner. That's basically what what we're getting yeah. around here, huh? Yeah, certainly. What I'm gonna come back to my question though, and I I'm not cutting the the soul medium conversation off, but what do you why do you think people generally practice this art? Oh, wow. That, that's like the biggest question there. It's like, why do you do bonsai? Not uh, you. Not, I know, not me. But like, as a broad question, it's like, why bonsai? And I hate answering that question. When I give like classes and lectures, I have this slide that's that usually pops up, and I got rid of it because I hate, hate answering that. It's like, why bonsai, and where, where, why do people come to it? It is, it is, it, it, is it varies a, from person to person. I get that. Yeah. But, 
on the regular, why do you think when somebody stops here, is it, what I'm getting at, is it to build incredible trees, highly ramified, or is it just to appreciate keeping a tree alive? It depends. I always tell people it's like, I tell them that this could be a load of fun. Right. You could come in here and they're like, once you once they were like, oh yeah, I can make anything the bone side. That's when it starts kind of the, the gears start turning, and then they say, oh, I want to do this, and they're like, so what do I do? And then I say, and they're like, they're like, why? And that's the question. It's like, it's not like it's more like a how, but then it kind of opens up that question of why. Like, what is the? I'm looking at this person that has just seen their first bonsai, or maybe seen, they've seen bone, like a lot of people have seen bonsai. They've been exposed to, pre-exposed yeah. to in movies and stuff, or in the stores, they were there, they sell the really, yeah. the really knick-knack ones. But um, but they've seen their first bald cypress bonsai they've ever seen, and they're like, and I look at this person in their in their eyes, and, and, and they're asking me that same question. They're like, why should I do this? Like, what what do I do? And I'm like, I want you, first of all, you should just have fun with it. That's really where, like, I, I know it sounds really cheesy and kind of corny and might make people some people like kind of flinch a little bit. It's like just have fun. Like if if you want to get technical with it and you want to yeah. like jump down that rabbit hole yeah. and follow Alice into the wonderland of bonsai where things get super complex, then go for it, man. I mean, I've watched people like you, for example, where you've just gone you you like poked it a little bit and yeah. then and then you just jump straight in. I was yeah. like, okay. And it takes a special person to take it to that next level and then start thinking about Akadama. Um, so does a beginner need it? No, they don't. You don't need anything to do bonsai. All you need is imagination. Yeah, us talking about wiring. You don't need that. I mean, yeah, it it allows you the opportunity to manipulate quicker, right? And and you get your lines faster. And like I knew a guy that only did cut and grow mm-hmm. all of his trees. He hated wiring. He hated repotting his trees. He hated wiring the trees he would just cut and grow things that he found and he loved it and that if he if to him if that if that's what bonsai is man i mean that's bonsai yeah. is it's a tree it's something that is indicative of a tree in a in a pot and that's that's the definition that's kind of like it's like when the newbie comes in here i, I know to their that their virgin eyes to bonsai like they're going to look at something that i would look at now in my time of doing it being like i'm like i either look at that tree and go oh that's a lot of work man i don't want to deal with something like that i'd rather work on this but they look that that same tree and they're like oh man this is amazing right and that's what you want yeah you want to be intrigued you want to be amazed by that first tree let people get there in their own time at their own pace exactly and i mean but yeah dude we spent we spent a whole episode again talking about miscellaneous things uh we talked about creek myrtles a little bit for whatever reason, but you know, just because that's probably something else we can talk about later. Your oh, your eye was caught by. A, a oh yeah, that was one. Yeah. But you also asked me about that other one, but I did. Um. So yeah, we'll just have to catch us up in the and uh and this is part two. We'll have to catch it up in part three, I guess. But um, Dang. catch us catch us on the road soon because yeah. Um, me, Nate, and Mark, the uh, the Boneside Southeast Boneside crew are the Boneside boys. Our no southeast worries. boys. Shirts made up. You're getting shirts. They're going to be airbrushed, and they're going to have they're going to have trees on them. Uh, and uh, Mr. Miyagi with shears in his hand, like doing like a he's like on a skateboard or something, like Maybe. doing a kickflip. But uh, yeah, dude, cool T-shirts made up. We're going to all jump in a car. We're driving down to Florida. Um, 
and we're gonna do like we're gonna record an episode doing that, just sure. like some some road trip noise, uh, because when you sit in the car with with dudes long enough, and y'all and y'all are like thinking about bonsai, you're on the way to do bonsai. I mean, something interesting has to come up from that. Yeah. Uh, and then we're gonna be going to see some special people, so hopefully we can get some other cool stuff going on. It's definitely. Yeah. The sharing of information and and. I challenge, you know, those of you who are listening, whether you you, you feel as if you're in driving distance, um, you know, look online. What? <laughs> if you're driving your car right now, yeah, look I mean, up look up a stop bonsai doing what you're doing. Reprogram your GPS. <laughs> Pull over, turn around, look look at your GPS, go to a bonsai nursery. I challenge you. Do no, it. You, you're obviously. <laughs> You got a lot of choices, a lot of a lot of yeah. things you could be listening to, and you know, move your knowledge forward. Go go ask questions. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, pick somebody's brain. Yeah, you saw. Um, and I just wanted to before we go too. I wanted just to reach out and thank everyone for listening. I've seen, I've uh, I've kept up with uh, the the regions that I showed you the picture where yeah. we're getting listeners and awesome. Uh, I love the reach that we're getting with this. Uh, we're going to keep doing it. We've got lots of plans moving forward with the nursery and with this podcast. So there's lots of stuff to cover. Uh, both, uh, all well, collectively, me, Nate, and Mark are all young bonsai guys. I mean, I've been doing it for a little while longer than, than you know, practicing-wise as far as them. But, I mean, they've got a lot of stuff that's going on. And, I mean, I've got a long ways to go, too. So this is this is a really sweet little beginning. I, I like where this is going, man. We're all in it together, my man. Yep, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch up next time on part three. I, I told you this was gonna go longer than it should, but uh, you want to say you want to say goodbye to him for now. Hey, uh, again, watch your trees. Uh, <laughs> as you, you're trying to come with you yours. No, you again put me on the spot, but no, watch your, keep your eyes on your trees. I mean, it's a definitely a a, a quick growing season. Um, you know, keep your eyes on them and especially ones that, that have some wire on them and make sure you're, you know, you're watering your trees enough and uh, get those shade cloths up. Yeah. Hot places, yeah. For the summertime in, in which this is, I mean, yeah. Without a doubt. Um, be, be observative. Uh, ob- observative, that's not a word. Observe. That's what bonsai is about, is about observing nature. Yeah. And as I always say, uh, make sure that you always rotate your trees we don't want bald spots or unexpected dieback because you didn't rotate your trees. So that's me, Evan Pardue, and Nate Murray signing off. Peace.